Over the holidays, we saw the racism of the educational system rear its ugly head, but it's not what you think. In fact, it's in the racism of low expectations or what some call today anti-racism. Let's talk about this today as we watch our culture stray further every day. Howdy. My name is Jonathan Viella, and I'm in the producer's chair along here with uh, Rai Rai, the producer guy, but uh, he's our assistant today, but I'm also joined with the full house, Mr. Clint, sitting in the chair of theology. How are you doing, sir? Well, thank you. Glad to have you there, dealing with the reason why we believe what we believe, and it's your first time on the show, isn't it? It very much is. <laughs> Glad to have you. And to his left, our right, we got Clint Jr., Yes, sir. Yes, sir. How you doing, sir? I'm doing good, John Arthur. Glad to have you in the chair of philosophy, dealing with the rigor that the Christian must bring. Yes, sir. And to his left, Miss Nikki. Hi, how are you? Doing well. Glad to have you there. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. In the chair of culture, I see. Yes. Mr. Steve. Man, I'm doing great, John Arthur. Another beautiful day. Holidays are done. Move on for a new year. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Sitting in the chair of politics. Yes, sir. All right, and then we got Josh. And being politically incorrect. (laughs) (laughs) Just had to get that in. Hello, my name is Joshua Gilbert, and I'm sitting in the chair of economics today. Also, wanted to mention, there's some big open house vibes going over here. It's like, hello, today you're going to meet my podcast host, Ed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. No, but in all seriousness, I'm glad to have Mr. Clint here. It's going to be a fun day. So we've got a bunch of stories to get to first. Kind of want to set the table for y'all. Because as we look to what's happening today, it's good to also look back and see how we got here. And with the public education system, everyone everyone will agree, I believe, that there's something wrong with the public education system. With a 50% literacy rate in some places, in some schools it's even worse in high schools. Uh, all over the nation, there's something broken. Now, the question is, is do we need to lower the standards, increase the funds, or do we need to increase the standards and uh, not deal with the funds, but deal with the children? But we'll get to that. Starting off, though, Josh has a really interesting story that this was the December 23rd story out of the New York Post kind of started us off here. I want to get this on the record, Josh. The, The article reads as such. Top school principal hides students' academic awards in name of equity. So there's this very prestigious high school in the United States of America called America called Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology. And if you look them up, they're very, like I said, a prestigious high school, and they do very well academically. One of the things, though, that they embrace as a policy is equal outcomes for every student without exception. Oof. And you might ask, well, what the heck does that mean? Well, let's look no further than this example of what happened to the student who they took the SAT. They performed so well that they earned the designation of a national merit award. And it has to be distributed through the school. And the school purposefully withheld that information from the student, affecting what all kinds of factors for their education, furthering their education, uh, particularly having a choice to go further their education wherever they would like. And this is not the only person because an investigation was brought in as a result and they found out that this is a problem that the school has been dealing with for the past 
several years. Several years. But the, the whole the whole term of this principal who's been in there. And by the way, the National Merit Award, uh, it, link in the description below. You can read the story from the New York Post. It's three in 50,000 students qualify for that award. If I remember correctly, fact check me if you see that in the article. But it's something to the tune of three in 50,000 get that award. That is an amazing award. And the parent of that student said that that student stayed up all night, you know, long nights, every school day, working hard to make sure that not only did they do well in their regular academics, but they were in the honors placement. They were doing collegiate level work as a high school student, and it was the PSAT. So they were doing this as a freshman or a sophomore. Just think about that for a second. Why? Why? If you're interested in the education of children and the advancement of children, why do you think that they would do this? Oh, let me remind you. This particular student, the parent who found everything out and is the whistleblower, they are Eastern, Middle Eastern or Far Eastern, depending upon which group that you're referring to. And that's the thing. You would think that when we talk these racist terms that we're talking about black people, no, this school is predominantly Middle Eastern slash Asian family. And... To go into deeper detail about this grading policy, let's look at it for a second. They have a equitable, they call it equitable, equitable grading. This means that they can give a student no less than 50% for just showing up. So, so 50% or more is automatically what the grade is. And if they don't turn it in, they receive a designation of NTI, not turned in. Why not 100 I mean, why not 100 at that point? Like, what what is stopping you after you, you get to that point? And so I do want to shortly throw this around the room, and I, and I, and I want to get y'all's reactions to this because I think it's important to, to build up to a good climax here. But really quick, obviously this is terrible. It's sick. And, you know, we can be outraged. But I really want to go to the heart of the matter, starting off with the chair of theology and to put you in the hot seat there. When we start to degrade the foundation of our society, our theology, it's, it's, the, it's the utmost thing. All of these chairs, there's a flow from your theology informs your philosophy, which changes your culture, then your politics, and then your, what you value, your economics. When you have a misguided theology, isn't this the likely result? Oh, yeah. If you don't have any foundation to stand on, and uh, you have a, a flawed sense of what is true and right, then you're going to make poor decisions and not award those. Uh, you're not going to have a sense of justice. And so therefore you're going to award things based on feelings and what you think is right. Yeah. In a little bit, we're, we're going to talk about James and uh, Galatians, uh, I believe it's 328. Uh, we're going to go over some of the verses of what God thinks about being a respecter of persons. But it's almost like that there's a there's a new God set up, and it's a God of, of self. Your thoughts? I mean, my thoughts are, of, of course, everybody's out for what they, they think is right, and that seems to be the, the judge of what today, how I feel, and a sense of somehow trying to make things right with a flawed sense of justice. Absolutely. Clint? Going to the chair of philosophy here, when you do not have a true North Star in theology, 
you know, philosophy and mathematics are very similar. Yeah. You can make either say anything that you want to. If you start with a false premise, mm-hmm. once you've taken away truth as an absolute and it's become a relative term, couldn't this be seen philosophically as a greater good? Absolutely. Because um, as you said, removing the North Star, removing truth, because as Christians, our truth is the Bible. That That is what we hold to be true. If we remove that, then what is true? Because then as if we're thinking that as an atheist, we hold, we're the bearers of knowledge, right? Everything we touch, feel, taste, our five senses, that is what we know to be true, correct? But then as a Christian, we can be like, well, then how do you know your senses aren't, you know, tricking you? You know, you can have... You can be colorblind. That ain't really purple, dog. That's actually brown. Then removing that from the atheists, anything they put in front of them can be true to them, right? Well, it, Hitler thought sub, subjectively, he thought killing Jews was correct. Well, us, we think that's wrong. But then what becomes objective? To us, the Bible. The Bible says, no, that's bad because why? Murder's bad. But to an atheist who doesn't have absolute truth, you can substitute anything in there and it becomes true to them and it becomes correct by their definition of truth because they've changed the definition. And that's something that's really a recurring theme. Whenever you see someone shifting the definition of truth, that should be a red flag because it is the oldest trick in the book. And I do mean the oldest trick in the book. What did the serpent say to Eve? What was his opening line? Hath God really said? Yea, hath God really said. That's an important thing. So, again, this culturally makes sense, though, Miss Nikki, doesn't it? The fact that, especially because Middle Easterns and Asians do really well in schools to the fact to the point where we've actually discriminated against them getting in into schools like Harvard, for example. Uh, but how and is it this is part of their culture to be well educated and to really work hard at their education? So isn't it a natural outflowing of cultural Marxism? As we see being held in the States, this, and, and again, I hate these buzz terms, but it really is a redistribution of merit, whether it be money or whether it be academics. It's a redistribution to those who did not work for it. And again, it's not because of race. It's because of culture. And we'll get there in a moment. But this is a natural outflowing from the culture. What do we see in our culture today that 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 pushes this this is this is driven it's even morally it's an immoral imperative as we see that this this principle really seems to believe it's important to not offend those who are ill-adjusted and they're not the right race and they might feel bad if someone does well I, i think it's really i'll tell you where i think it really begins is political power and then that gets into the media, which then flows over into the education, because it's always been, we're here to help you. We're here to help you. We're going to take care of this racism. We're going to take care of this for you. And so then these people are like, oh, well, I want to get on board with this. And, and you know, we really need to help out. And they don't stop and study the facts. 
but it's motivated by a lot of hype, but it's not sustainable. Absolutely. And like any sin, it's not sustainable. And we're about to see everything come to a crash. You know, the, the, the World Economic Forum and, and some of the banks are even admitting it's like, hey, everything that's happening with the workforce leaving, which you can largely attribute to wokeism, you can largely attribute it to this this lack of the Protestant work ethic that they detest so much. The bank, the world is about to collapse economically, which that leads to revelation type times, eschatological type times. But I'll leave that be. But that leaves a really interesting vacuum for the government, doesn't it, Mister Steve? Oh my lands! Yes, yes, John Arthur. Um, you know, you've got a, a vacuum in terms of people, a term in terms of people working in terms of, say, let's people just wanting to do and have effort to get money. I, I mean, look at what was happening when they were handing out checks for COVID. All of these checks. What happened? People wanted to stay home. They didn't want to go back to work. Where's my check? Let's let, give me this for free. And what happens? The government ends up with an enormous debt, and then you got to cover it. Because people, what, don't want to work. And then you have all of these jobs. You see all of these help wanted signs. Nobody can get anybody to work. What happens there? J businesses have to close because they can't get anybody to work for them. And then you have an economic crisis. And that plays really well when you want to take away more people's freedom. I'm going to get to you in just Correct. a second because I'm going to build a case for the economic. Don't take too much. I want to build a case for the economic because once you have an economic crisis, then the government is able to step in and trade some of your freedoms for some security. Right. As, as we quote all too often in this podcast, Benjamin Franklin so famously said, if you trade your freedom for security, Liberty for you are security. deserving of neither. Not correct. And you will get neither. My goodness, excuse me. You will get neither. And so always after a trade like that, historically, what happens? Does the government play nice with that power or do we ultimately see things crumble? Say like the Weenmeyer Republic circa 1930s. You see things crumble. Look, look at Venezuela. Perfect example. It's happened during our lifetime. It's happened during your lifetime. You have watched it. People in your generation have been able to watch what has happened to Venezuela. I remember my grandfather, when Chevron was Gulf Oil, he worked for Gulf Oil. He was in Venezuela for years. Booming country, man, bunches of oil. They were rich country. But who do you need to make that happen, to make that power transition and that transition to wealth? You need a stupid, useless idiot, right. as uh, uh, Lenin referred to them, to incite the revolution. Correct. And, that, and that's really where we're going here. And, and, and just spoiler alert, 
So be aware. But I want to move over to the chair of economics because the government has a power incentive. And there's multiple angles to this from the economic side because when you have a dumber populace, you can get votes easier, but also but also it lends easily towards a different kind of labor force. And the people who scream the most about how evil uh, the government is and how evil uh, the, you know, uh, capitalism is, they're really quick to fall into the arms of the corporatists, aren't they? I'm sorry, could you repeat that last part? How does the use, useful idiot, how does the useful idiot translate easily into government power and power for those who own companies? Isn't it a lot easier to control people? Well, one of the most effective marketing techniques is in using influencers or using celebrity. And with the culture we live in, it's a influencer slash celebrity based culture. I guarantee you, you won't find a single young person or a single old person, quite frankly, for that matter, that will know the name of every politician in the House of Representatives, but they'll know the ones that are very popular. For example, you'll yeah. know who Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is. You'll know who uh, Mitch McConnell is. Well, not maybe not even, but you'll know who Ilhan Omar is. You'll know who all these different people are. Because these people are considered to have the most influence and most skin in the game. But they Allegedly. have influence because they're outrageous and they're a good media type. That's what sells papers. I mean, when you look at um, Cortez there, she isn't even that bright. When When she first started in politics, she wasn't even that bright. But because she was so ridiculous... She sold papers and she's a pretty young lady and she was, you know, a restaurant manager. I believe that was her, her thing. And she was rising up into this political world and she sold papers and or sold, you know, they, they made money off of her. And so she's an influencer because of, of it made money for the media, not because she was bright and intelligent and had great ideas. That's not what, and I know a lot of people would argue, argue with me about that, but that's not what got her to where she is today. It's, it's, it's both. It's both. She was, she was hired for that job. By the way, it, it, I'm not wearing a tinfoil hat. You can literally, the, the interview used to be on YouTube where you could watch Chank Weger talking about auditioning people for that Senate seat. They wanted to find the best candidate. So they had the candidates come in to a coffee shop to present how they would uh, be in Congress as a candidate. And that's how they selected that candidate. She is a manufactured, fabricated candidate. And it, it's not that it's not that weird. Well, and, and it's all the time. And she's going to keep getting voted in because of the district that she's in. Yep. So they know that that right at this point, she doesn't have a, a threat against her. You could run Martin Luther King versus a used tissue with a D on it in that in that district, and you would win Democrat. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't doesn't matter who you have in that. But but moving along, I do want to get on to the next story because this whole bigotry of low soft expectations, this anti-racism, really 
it, it recurs over and over again. Every year we see this. And this reminds us a lot of a, of a story that uh, was in the UK mail. By the way, link in the description as always below. Ms. Nikki, do you get that headline for us? Well, I'm trying to pop it up. It's having a hard time. No worries. So, oh, here it is. This is the teacher who believes it's racist to correct or grade homework. Ms. Nikki. Arizona State University professor says traditional grading system is racist and demands an end to white supremacy by grading papers based on effort. Some students have privilege because they embody those habits of white language already. Uh, let me just give you the, the points here. Um, a professor at Arizona State University is arguing that the traditional grading system is racist. He called for grading students based on effort they put into their work instead of, of factors like spelling, grammar, and quality. He says white students have privilege because they embody those habits of white language. Um, Yeesh. And he gives a series of lectures on this. Okay. So I'm going to go to the brown man in the room and say, hey, d does that sound a tad non-inclusive? That. I'm I'm sorry. That's the most dumbest thing I've heard in my life. <laughs> like you're not gonna grade me because I'm spelling a word wrong. Is that you're you telling me? Because I put because it looked like there was steam coming out of my head. You're gonna give me a hundred, even though it was wrong. How dare you? I mean, that's <laughs> what I'm thinking. Junior, it is. You sound like you're using white privilege language to me well my daddy's white so how else would <laughs> he speaks he speaks good english is the problem you speak good english is the problem if you spoke eubonics or if it was broken english then all of a sudden you would have a intersectional value point that you could use to say hey i don't need to work as hard but we all know, what does that end up in the real world? Once you leave academia, what does that really look like? No one's really going to hire you if you're going to. When I worked at uh, a mod store, you know, there was a, it was an area where brown people were the most. And a lot, a lot of them had papers that would come up to me and be like, hey, I need a job. But they would tell me in Spanish, right? I'd be like, can you speak English? And they're like, no. I was like, do you at least have papers? No, I can't help you. There's no way I can help you. I'm not going to pay you under the table and get myself fired. Dude, that's racist. Uh, call me racist. It can be my great grandma for all I care. But no, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to jeopardize my future for another person. I know that sounds cruel and terrible. Come on, man. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> but as a Christian, I will help him as much as I can, right? Hey, we got to get your papers done. You know, there's a great person you can go to, send them that way. But otherwise, in the real world, no one's going to help you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and for those of us who've worked a long time, you know, I'm not the longest worker in here. I, I know that both of you have seen what happens to uh, quota hires. They do get promoted. But what happens to the to the life inside the, the soul inside? I mean, every quota hire I've ever met knows deep down whether they're arrogant about it or whether they're really sad about it, they know that part of the reason they're there, they're worried. They're always looking over their shoulders saying, do I really deserve this? And they either lash out for it or, or they're very sad, saddened by it. It's like an opportunity was robbed from them. Have either of you ex experienced that? I have one time worked with a gentleman at 
<clears throat> I'm not going to say where, but his comment to me was that numbers of people in this field get promoted to the height of their stupidity. Oof. And they had an unspoken quota hire there. You didn't know that it was happening, but underneath the covers, it was happening. It was obvious to tell by the way the hire and the, and the way the people that worked there and the way the people that got that got promoted compared to the people that were, say, qualified for the job that should have gotten promoted, but they didn't. And those people would quit, so you end up with people who are in a position that don't know what they're doing, and then you end up with people that are good underneath them that end up leaving the company that it, would help the company out. It never, it never works out long term, Miss Nikki. I was just going to say, uh, I haven't worked with anybody in that in that situation, but my friend worked, and I won't tell you the place because you would, everybody would know it. Um, with someone who was hired under that, and he couldn't read or write, and he was her manager. Oh. So every time that something would come in and he couldn't read it, he'd have to bring it to her to read it for him. Oof. And she was just like, he's my manager, but he can't read and write. I mean, he could, he could write, but he did not have an adult, a reading level, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. And that's what, and that's what forced equity always ends up driving out. It, it, what, it, what it squeezes out of the, of the clockwork, if you will. It's never a positive thing. In a moment, Mr. Steve, I can get you to take care of these article from Dunbar on National Review. Mm -hmm. Why don't you get that prep, Josh? While he's getting that ready, you got something. Well, I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt now hearing that article. He could be talking about English second language people who mm -mm. don't have the best language. But I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm he saying wasn't. that let's talk about people who have English second language, who really don't know English and who really don't know how to read or write it. I don't think he realizes that professors and teachers do help out those students. Now, I'm not saying every single one of them does, but when I was in college, if you worked hard and you, you really showed that you were there and you wanted to learn, if you went to the professor and you asked them like, hey, what does this mean? They genuinely would help you out and they would try to go the extra mile for you because you're trying to go the extra mile for them. And so it does come back to the work ethic. If you display work ethic, I think you'll get rewarded, and it's not really about the color. And I think what this professor neglects in it is the autonomy of prof other professors and teachers to be able to reward something like that. And so he thinks it needs to be an institutionalized type of thing, when in fact, that's not how it works at all, because we've, we just neglect us as people, and we neglect the free market and all, the, all, all such you, things. You have to deny the basic nature of human nature, the, 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 the basic reality of human nature, rather, excuse me. You have to deny the fact that people, when faced with an obstacle that they have to overcome, will rise to meet it, large, by and large. And those who don't, I am all for giving them an extra, you know, boost over the, over the hill. 
But when you demand that people do, do less than the standard, what you're doing is you're saying that they're not capable of doing it. And you're right. You're right. There's a soft, it's a almost, it, it's this very ugly awe. I'm sorry. It, it's primarily about, and it, the way that they said it, I believe he's talking about eubonics. I believe, I believe he's talking about eubonics primarily. And then also like a, like a Chicano type speak. It's like, I'm sorry. Those kids can learn. They can outgrow that a hundred percent. If you expect them to, they will. If you don't, they're going to go through life speaking like that. Man, you got to hate someone or really not care to, to do that to them. Mr. Steve. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting about this guy and his wife, the way they've set this up for their, you know, saying that grammar, speaking, and, and some of these other things that they're talking about um, are not important to do, but uh, you can go and look on YouTube and find Thomas Sowell on some of the art, uh, YouTube stuff that he has and how he talks about some of the various schools, how they increased. They were transformative. Very didn't follow the standard of the school curriculum and went and taught English phonics phonics. You're not allowed to teach phonics anymore. Mathematics to a, a better degree than what's being taught. And the scores in that school got to the, some of the highest national levels. Let's what does that the, say? And this guy's wanting to not do that. What does that tell you? The dumbing down of America yeah, is what that is. And let's dig into that. I want you to hold that. Let's get through the uh, Dunbar School story real quick. This yes. is from National Review. By the way, if I remember correctly, this article is indeed by Thomas Sowell. Yes. Uh, there are, if I can remember, I'll put links in the description to his YouTube videos on this. He's got a number of, of videos on this topic, but they're primarily recaps of the article that we're going to quote here and or of the source material. By the way, the whole source paper is in the description below. Yeah. Go ahead and get us some key points out of that, sir. Yes, this is a National Review, The Fate of Dunbar High by Thomas Sowell. Now, we're, okay, let me get to where I wanted to get. Absolutely. Over the next several decades, four-fifths of Dunbar graduates went on to college. Four-fifths, far more than for any of the black or white high school graduates in the country at large during the era of that time they were in. Now, during, in 1954, the Supreme Court declared that separate schools were inherently unequal, no doubt in ignorance of Dunbar which was in walking distance of the site of that sweeping pronouncement. Now, over the next, let's see here, there was this one interesting thing here. Most went to inexpensive local colleges, but among those who went on to Ivy League 
and other elite colleges, a significant number graduated Phi Beta Kappa. Now, this right here is a gotcha. At one time, Dunbar graduates could get into Dartmouth or Harvard without having to take an entrance exam. How many schools can you say that about now? How many schools can you say that about today where a high school will grant you a proper GED, a diploma rather, from that high school will give you a, an entrance to Harvard? Certainly none of your regular public education high schools. And Dunbar was a public education high school. So what did they do? By the way, just for context, we missed the context. Dunbar was founded in 1870. Right. Four, five years after Reconstruction started, okay, is when this was formed. You had black teachers, black students. And by the way, Dunbar is a touchy, touchy subject. I wish we had Chauncey here tonight. Uh, touchy subject among, among some folks in the African-American community because they think that Dunbar was somehow the light-skinned blacks or the bourgeoisie. Mm-hmm. Look at the pictures from the alumni. They were all different shades of the uh, you know spectrum. And you want to you want to know if they were middle class? There were more maids as parents than there were doctors or lawyers at any given time. So these are low-income oppressed people and by the way one of the things that uh, was not in that uh, not in that quick spiel you had at in 1870 you had four schools in dc in that area and more or less in the south in the uneducated you know they were just right in their virginia territory you had four schools three were white dunbar did better than two as far as their standardized testing they did better than two of the white schools in that space that is, by the way, this is starting with kids who are blitheringly illiterate because they were oppressed. You, these are slaves who you, you would cut off their fingers if they were holding a book in the South. Some slave owners would do that. These are some of those kids, and they're already doing better than the whites. Was it their funding? Certainly not. They had a was hard it, time getting funding. Was it the lowering of standards? Certainly not. What was it? Something about the ethic of the teachers, of the principals. The fact that you were not allowed, and, and, and let's, let's, let's tie this in real quick. You were not allowed to rally rouse and create problems in the school. If you were, you were ejected. You had to find another school. Correct. That was it. This is before integration era. Cha integration's a good thing. No, integration's a good thing. Okay. You guys hear that? The one thing integration did wrong was it forced people to go to specific schools. It did not allow for a meritocracy. This school choice issue is what killed Dunbar in the 50s. It went on to produce the first black 
Brigadier General. Most of the first black officers who fought in World War II. It went on to produce these stellar individuals. And again, I'm only saying the race because those are the people who were coming from there and they were oppressed at the time. But it produced all of that and then it immediately devolved. Right, It took 10, 15 years and that almost, it was like 80 year legacy of excellence, gone. It's another ghetto school. Do you think the measures proposed by modern academia would really do it like a good? So, you know, Dunbar also produced the first black Supreme Court justice. Yes. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. So let's kind of go around the room. I want to start off with when we are a respecter of persons in the chair of theology. If you can get those two verses prepped for us, sir. When we are a respecter of persons, we start to play God, don't we? In a sense, we start to ascend ourselves above God because we start to say, well, I'm, I'm more than that person, don't we? Of course. But that's our, that's our inherent problem from the beginning is wanting our own autonomy and to decide who goes where and what we do. That, that was the original sin in my estimation. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you can get uh, James 2, 2 through 4, please. It says, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, some people will say, aha, aha, that's only about the rich. But would it, <laughs> would it not make, how is it any different than denying literally millions of dollars to a specific people group? in scholarship funds because you withheld the national merit award. How is that any different than, than respecting someone because of their, their dress? Well, discrimination is discrimination, no matter the matter of the reason, right? And we're not talking about pizza. We can discriminate against what flavor of pizza we like. Hey, I like pepperoni and, or whatever, but you can't discriminate against people based on, on any reason, whether they're, uh, color, money, what part of town they were born in, whatever. Discrimination is discrimination, and that's what we've been discussing tonight. And in Scripture, we find that all are equal and equal value, right? There's no, there's no different footing for anybody at the foot of the cross. Amen. So the rich don't have a leg up, and the poor don't have a leg up. The Jew doesn't have a leg up at the foot of the cross, and the Gentile doesn't have a leg up at the foot of the cross. Everybody is equal. All must come to God through Christ. And so with that ethic, we already see that in place, and that's what God expects. He doesn't say, well, John Arthur, because he's white, you know, born to this family, has a better leg up with me than somebody else who doesn't, who may be of a different color. Amen. And so right there, getting in the, getting in the chair of philosophy a little bit there, right there is an excellent exegesis of the Scripture. That is what you should take away, is that discrimination— no matter who it's against, that 
that 16-year-old did not, now they're a college graduate, they didn't do any, any sort of oppression. Their parents are immigrants from the Middle East. And you took away potentially, you got to understand, the National Merit Scholarship, that is worth, in some cases, ten, fifteen, a hundred thousand dollars $100,000 just in corporate sponsorships that you can get from places like Boeing, Pfizer, Moderna, whoever it is, whatever, whatever, wherever you're in, those people pay Boku dollars, JP Morgan, whoever they are, they pay Boku dollars when they see a three out of 50,000 student. And you've absolutely taken away, BlackRock, funny, uh, you absolutely take away from them that opportunity. Can you get for us Galatians 3.28 as well? Sure. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. So that, that should really tell us something about the anti-racist movement. That should really frame that out for us. But if we don't have that, it, it can really mess us up. When we don't have that view that we are one body, in Christ, when we are one bride of Christ, and he loves each one of us just as much, and an injustice against one of us is an injustice against him. And it devalues the whole stack, by the way. It's you defacing the entire stack. I think that's an important thing to realize. Moving over to the chair of philosophy, I want to get some of your thoughts here. When something works, like Dunbar High, and you see the core values are hard work, good academic rigor, the ability to choose, the ability to fail even. Man, people don't talk about the blessing that God gave us. The ability to fail, that is a huge blessing because it's a motivator. When you have all those things and you have a system that works and someone systemic, systematically breaks that down and destroys it, is it possible that their objective is not the objective of that institution, the original, the original objective of that institution? Is it possible that they have a different utopian agenda, something that they want to create, they want to rebuild it in their own image? Oh, absolutely. So when you think about sheep, you know, sheep are pretty dumb, right? Sheep, you know, they just follow the herd, right? And the shepherd is the one who take care of them all. Well, if your sheep start becoming smart and they plan against you, there's a problem. Well, same thing with today. Someone has an agenda and the best way to get their agenda through is by having dumb kids. Absolutely. That's the best way. Because if a kid doesn't know what's right and wrong, you can easily place, oh, uh, robbing a store, that's perfect. That's exactly what you're here for. <clears throat> Anything else is no. That's wrong. You can riot and loot all you want as long as it gets our candidate into office. Oh, did did I say that? Freest and fairest election ever. <laughs> but but, but that is absolutely the, the nail on the head. They're breeding something else. And, and, you know, as Christians, sometimes we get lost in the weeds of the politics of it all. What we should be doing is asking questions. The Aristotelian method or the Jesus method, either Aristotle used the Jesus method or Jesus used the Aristotelian method. I, you know, we can, we can debate that, but 
Christ asked questions. And that's something that I think Christians really kind of fall on or fail on. We, we fall short where we don't ask people questions so that they come to their own conclusions. You ever find that it's easier to ask questions like that than it is to try to tell someone? Oh yeah, by far. It is so much easier to ask why than for someone to explain why. Like parents do that a lot, right? They, why can't I do this? Parent answers. Well, when a parent doesn't answer, a kid wants to know why. He has a curiosity nature about him. So he goes figure out why is why can't I touch the stove when the stove is on? Yeah, we were talking about that not too long ago. <laughs> That's how you get a burnt hand. Exactly. And the same thing now. Like if kids don't start asking why, you get because you know, I, I recently just graduated high school. Well, <laughs> I graduated high school by the skin of my teeth. I literally all I had to do was stand and walk across the stage. Everything else was dealt for me because I was literally failing economics. I had a two, a two, a two in that class, a two. I turned everything in the last day and then my coach knew my teacher. I ended out with an 87. Dude, I knew I felt that final exam. I knew for a fact I felt it because I was like, I don't know half of these questions. Coach H is stellar. Oh, absolutely. I know his coach. I literally got. 70s on every single late thing I brought but now thinking back that probably wasn't the best thing for me <laughs> but I think I turned out all right um but she did also see that I I had scrounged around looking for these papers these papers were thoroughly put I did put in the work I did show my work because you know that's the problem with me I don't like showing my work I, I put in the effort I might have not got the right answer but I put in the work. Teachers are willing to work with you as long as you give them something back. Yeah. But a teacher that just gives you a 50 just because you showed up. That's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. And it's it's sick. Move it over to Miss Nikki. Chair of culture. I got some questions for you. When we have deconstructed excellence, what replaces it in the in the culture? And and how does it how does it lead us towards nihilism? Okay, so if you're not going to strive for excellence, then you're going to uh, be complacent, be lazy, lack innovation. These are what make makes our our culture what it is. Is I can't even imagine to be in a culture where you're not striving to be better, to be a better person to help those around you. And that's what it's going to lead to also. Because all you're thinking about is, well, I just don't have to do anything. I have no goal here. I have nothing to strive for. I mean, Columbus and whatever you think of him, Einstein, whatever you think of him, these people didn't become household names because they had no obstacles to overcome. One of the one of the most cruel things that you can do to a developing tree is to give it everything it needs and to protect it from the when there's wind that's going to come to protect it from the wind and to make sure that it has the finest this and that when the day will come when it will not have that protection from the wind when it won't have that perfect fertilizer that you're giving it right now because as soon as you take away that protection and there's always a day where where it falls. 
that tree will fall. So will those kids. You know, one of the things I do want to say, we talked earlier about um, when they're trying to deconstruct everything, the institutions that we know, you don't ever want to take away the foundational principles. You may need to do a little reconstruction as far as changing some things, just like when we went to integration. That, that was not necessarily, that was a good thing because it's not just uh, black children being uh, equal with white children, but there was so much discrimination against the school funding yes. that went to white schools over black schools. That's where the inequality was really existing. They're saying, I don't care about your education. Correct. And so what, they, what black people were saying is, we deserve the same. We deserve the same, and they do, and, and by they the way, absolutely do. By the way, everyone who is always opposed in uh, integration and those who want to go back to segregation, look at what party affiliation they've always had. I'm just saying it's the same leftists who have always opposed it. They always want to drive us apart, and so integration is a good thing, and that's why I said I, I, stop, I said stop. Integration is good. What's not good is a lack of choice. When you have terrible funding and you have Dem Democrats in charge of that funding, because what are they going to do? They're going to bus kids to, to this neighborhood, that neighborhood. And guess what? There might be some whites that get run over. They don't care. Those aren't their, their kids. That's fine. It's all good. As long as we get the funding over here to our nice side of the railroad tracks where we will do better for our kids. And by the way, you better believe that they talk to the school board when they feel like a teacher is letting the kids down. They will absolutely talk to the school board. They don't expect you to. They'll call uh, uh, the FBI on you if you do. But how far we've come, you know, exactly. I mean, you want to look at the education system. You know, it used to be communities putting the school, the funding together for their children. And they had a lot of say. In that, and then it grew to the counties, and then it grew, you know, and it grew, and then the federal government got involved. But the more that other people took over, the less that uh, that parents were involved anymore. And now, for a parent to try to get involved and have a say, th this is where we are. Well, Absolutely. Well, there's a reason for that. Yeah, I know at the school I went to, you know, parents had very little say only in the sports department, right? They had some say on what happened. But the reason was for that because they were firing teachers because there was all these allegations against them, correct? But then the teachers they hired were, you know, of part of the LGBT community, were very open, very pushy on their subjects. And most of them were the English teachers, you know, where we spent most of our time was in English. Hey, let's go ahead and fire all the closeted fetishists and let's bring in the open fetishists. It, it's hey. Good idea. Cause you would walk down the hall and me and my buddy, you know, we're wrestlers. So sometimes we would, we would like mess around in the hallway and the teacher was like, Oh, great couple. We stopped instantly <laughs> and looked at her and we're like, no, no. Cause good on you. That's terrible. Why would you think that? And we asked, why would you assume that? Why would you assume we're a couple that, and we were both, he was a Mediterranean and I was Brown. Why would you assume that? It's because of your skin color. I'm assuming he had an olive skin color. Oh, he was dark. He was dark. Yeah. Just yeah. Mm -hmm. That's why dude, that's why. And, and, and 
don't get me down that rabbit hole. Don't get me down that rabbit hole. I'm going to move over to Mr. Steve. Okay. I'm going to move over to Mr. Steve. We're talking about, about school, school choice and how, frankly, the system has been racially motivated for a very long time. Would it be, whether it be defunding black schools or whether it be busing and the way that busing was entirely botched, it, it's never been done good. Whenever the government gets involved, they, they just always mess things up. Why would you give them more? Have you really gotten all of your stimulus checks? Just a question. Anyway, moving over to Mr. Steve, once we have a deconstructed culture and it doesn't yearn for excellence, but for comfort. What does the government have to offer them? What can the government give in exchange for, or for comfort? They'll have to take something. What do they ultimately take away? They take away your freedom. Okay. They take away ownership of things, <clears throat> land, for one thing, homes increase taxes and what yep. happens is is the people that say don't want to do anything when you have an economic crisis what's the government going to do oh hey you know something we need to increase the budget because why we got to give out more checks because these people need it because they're not working and we got to fund the food stamps. We got to do more. We got to do this because people are not working. Well, they don't want to work. Why? Because government's taking care of everything for them. So what does that do? That gives government control over every ounce of your life, every section of your life. And it's like, you know, I've, I heard you say one thing, that failure is a blessing. Well, yeah, it is, John Arthur, because those who have achieved greatness, before they did that, they failed more times at what they were trying to achieve that than they achieved that one time to get that greatness. I mean, like you mentioned Columbus. How many times did he try to get funding in Italy to make his trip, then what did he do? He went to Spain. Correct. Got it. Yep. Where he got his funding was when he went to Spain. Spain or Portugal? I don't remember. Portugal, I think, I think Spain was, was, I don't think Portugal was around at the time. I don't know. I'm, thinking, I'm thinking Magellan. I'm thinking Magellan, I swear. But you're right. You know. You're right. 100%. And that's something that is robbed of, of kids. So what... With that in mind, that there is a, a trade, an exchange of power when, you know, you, you give us your liberties, we'll give you comfort. Wouldn't it seem, wouldn't it seem as though there's actually an incentive for the government to push and propagate that kind of culture and that kind of philosophy, that kind of theology? Oh, man, yeah. I think, um, you know, just before the podcast, you and I was talking a little bit about this. And one of the things that the government gets out of it is, for one thing, they end up with poor people. 
They end up with people needing food. They end up people with no security because they've taken your guns. You have no job. And then what? You have to rely on the government for everything. And then basically all of your freedoms are taken away because you've sacrificed your liberty for freedom. And you have neither. But it comes back back to a, a theology issue where they want to be your God. Correct. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Clint. They want to be your God. You no right. longer look to God as your provider. You no longer look to just him as the creator, those types of things. You now look to government to fix all your problems. Well, I'm broke. Fix my problems. Well, I'm hungry. Fix my problems. No longer pray and ask him who does actually own even the government. We look to the government instead. And who's behind that? They want us to bow and worship them. But really, there's somebody behind that curtain pulling those strings who's looking for that worship and adoration. That's exactly right. And as y'all probably remember, but I'll remind everyone again, if you read in Revelation, the first three books are addressed to seven of the churches. One of the churches, the persecuted church, was in Smyrna. For such a wealthy civilization, it is odd that the church would be poor and destitute. But it's not when you realize that on these streets of gold, literal gold, they had gold everywhere. They had temples to every god under the sun. You could prosper there if you did one thing. You could believe in that Jesus. That Jesus is fine. We don't care. If you pinch the incense and burn a little bit for Caesar and get your government stamp, you'd have papers for that act. You could now worship however you wanted. Let me get my 666 on my hand there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all, all you had to do is burn a little bit of incense. And what you see coming, what you see coming is a group of young who have been inculcated in the mindset so that if someone's taking away their food, like you're saying, Mr. Bailey, if someone, I wanted to jump in, but I was going to let you get there. If someone is going to take away their food, man, I have to stop that person. Anything, it, ta- it whatever it takes, I will stop them from getting in the way of my food. And I will destroy them, however, however necessary. So, just moving on to the chair of economics here, as we're wrapping up, what value does such a go- culture and government place on education? How, do, how highly do they value a good education? And what do they get in return for this value judgment? Okay, so I wanted to address what Mr. Clint said, and I think he was so on the money, and I wanted to extend it out a little bit further. He said that one of the first and the very first and at the root of it was autonomy. It was autonomy, but it was autonomy without God, and it was godless autonomy. It was making selfish decisions and not decisions that were for God. And when you see the education system, it's completely self-serving. Self-serving for the administrators who are at the heads of those schools, uh, self-serving for the politicians that are trying to 
redirect funding to certain schools and not to others. I mean, it's a very selfish system and performance isn't really at the, at the crux of it. It's agendas. And so where do we see that logic applied anywhere else? Let's talk about Russell Wilson for a second. Quarterback, Denver Broncos. He got a five-year, $250 million contract. You know what people are asking after this year? Why is he getting paid five years, $250 million? They're not asking that because he did a good... They're not asking that because, oh, well, you know, he's he's black, so he deserves it. No, they're looking at his performance and they're saying, that dude played like a one-year, $600,000 player and he were paying him $250 million. His performance was not of that of somebody who gets paid that amount. And so we give the government a lot of money <laughs> and they don't perform at that level. <laughs> they, uh, Correct. We give the school systems a lot of money and they don't perform at that level. And then when we tell the politicians that we don't agree with the way it's being done, whenever they tell you to call your representative and you tell your representative and then they spit in your face on the house or Senate floor, it doesn't feel too good doesn't feel too good so it's very important that we look at where our money's going education system and we say is what's happening here godly and if it's not godly then we need to say something about it and we ultimately hope that that and pray that that leads to action somewhere and that the we have elected officials who are going to listen but we've talked about education ad nauseum here I don't think the biggest issue that we see here is education. It's racism, I, I, I would I, say. I actually don't even think it's racism. Go for it. The biggest issue we see here, and I want to bring up something that almost everybody has said. He said, Mr. Steve said, who is going to foot the bill of all these spending bills? Miss <laughs> Nikki said, there are people who are, it's now socially acceptable to have certain mental illnesses, AKA pedophilia. And it's socially yeah. acceptable. Uh, we do not need God. We can make our own decisions because we know what's right. It's not racism that they're aiming for. It's not education. It's for the children. It's for the next generation. It's for their minds and for yeah. their, because think about this. One of the biggest things we've talked about today is work ethic. You know what kids don't like to do? They don't like to work hard. That's, you, that's not something that you just naturally want to do. You have to learn. That's something that I would say is a learned trait. That, and it starts with your parents and it starts with, it starts with maybe another influential figure in your life who's like, man, you need to work harder. Or things won't get done. So they're teaching you to be lazier. They're then also compromising on your sexual purity by saying that pedophiles are socially acceptable or drag shows for children are socially acceptable. So they're targeting the innocent, the sexual purity of the children. And then they're saying... Well, we can pass these spending bills because we need them right now. Who the heck is paying that bill at some point? It's a Ponzi scheme. Well, I'm telling you now, there's a lot of people who are in, who are in that, pol that political office that are going to die within 16 years, and I sure as heck know they're not going to be paying for that bill. So it's who's going to be paying for the bill? Yeah. 
It's going to be the people that are left behind. And it's going to be the children. And they're going to inherit an economic situation that is unfathomably bad. You know, and Tim so, Poole actually had something interesting on that, if I can just interject. And I, and I want to get your reaction to this just before we start to wrap up. Tim Poole said something interesting. He said, he said millennials and Gen Z continuously whine about Social Security being gone, about not having the same world that their parents inherited. And he said something really, I think, very thoughtful. He said, you're right. Get over it. The boomer generation inherited the most wealthy, most prosperous, most well-preserved family unit. And what we see is divorce rate is doubled since they were born. What we've seen is the national debt rise incredibly with boomer politicians. And again, it's not, it's not about ageism. It's not about ageism because everyone in this in this room here has, has, has done a good job. I'm not making generalization on that, but what you're, but what he said was really to your point is you have to get a good work ethic now. You have to start to build that because you do not have the option to do otherwise. And you know what's up for battle? It's the and I said it. It's the hearts and minds of individuals. And they're selling you everything that you could ever want. And you do want it. Because you, me and you are ne- selfish human beings who want that crap. And it's true. But you don't want what you really want. You want what you need. You need something else. Like you, you, you have to have this need. And it's called Jesus. Amen. And if you don't have him, then nothing else is going to play out in, in, in the way that it should. Because... The Bible and Christ is, is where we found the, found the foundation of life, but also these other great things we've talked about, work ethic, financial stewardship, purity, marriage, all these wonderful things, but they don't want you to have it because they want to give you what you want. In exchange in exchange for a lie and a promise that it'll work out in the end. So just a note from the producer here to kind of put the cap on it, or actually I'm going to throw this around the room, wrapping up for the evening, final thoughts from each chair, from your chair, go ahead and give us your closing thoughts, Mr. Clint. Well, I think I just expand kind of on what we were ending there with uh, brother Josh there. And that would be that, while they do want to replace you as God, they, they do have to put things in place and the education systems in place to be the clergy of that false theology. They're there to j- just tell your children there is no God. You're a, a simple random act. And that helps people turn to the government and in place of theology and other cultural woke ideas instead of embracing the truth of Scripture. This is what is true. Who, who, who tells them that's what's true? If they're not hearing it from their parents and they're not hearing it from a good Bible-believing church, then that teacher is their pastor. Why, is do, you leading want, them. why do you think they want Bible out of school? Right. Because if you, if you can't understand truth and, and the absolute truth of Scripture, and as we've kind of discussed, truth kind of gets lost in, in the 
in the in the shuffle there, you can't fight against wrong ideas. Amen. So guard yourself with the truth. Spend your time in the word. And if you're not a believer, spend that time in that scripture. You will find truth there. Moving over to the chair philosophy. Closing thoughts for tonight. I heard something from uh, from a coworker of mine that was really good. He said there was a man that walked to work every day, right? His son then rode a bike to work every day. Then his son rode a Mercedes to work every day. His other son rode a Lamborghini. The next son walked to work. Why is that? To teach work that day. To teach good work that day. To show if we get stuff nice, hand-wrapped, and pampered to us, not all the time we're going to increase that. Not all the time we're going to put it aside, put our two shekels in a bank and invest them. Some people put that in the ground. And then when he comes back, what do we have to show for it? Because he's coming. That's a fact. We might not know when, but as long as I live here, I'm going to put my shackles in a bank and double them until he does. Amen. Amen. You want to make sure that you use your time wisely. And part of that is a good education. Consider homeschooling your kids, by the way. Just consider that. If you can't do that, find someone, a group, a church or a school that has a good program. But if you do have kids in public school, deprogram them every day because they will be taught that they don't have to work. Moving over to the chair of culture, Miss Nikki. I was just sitting here thinking about um, the old plantation, the old plantation work uh, owners did not want their slaves to be educated. They're easier to control if they're not educated and they can't think for themselves. Hmm. And they had special Bibles. It's the same party. It's the same party that's changing. You know, they, they want to change our body or our Bibles, and they want to deprive kids of education. That is a good point, Mr. Steve. Yeah, you had um, <clears throat> mentioned, you know, about taking the Bible out of school. I, when I graduated in '79, I lived in a, a small town over in East Texas, Southern East Texas, and. Up to the day I graduated, we pledged, had the Pledge of Allegiance every morning and had a prayer every morning in school. Now, whether they still do that or not, I don't know. But at that time, we were still doing it at that time. And then, you know, I was hearing Josh talking about the government giving you what you need or giving you what you want instead of what you need and talking to you and telling you, you know, it's, it's kind of, and, and acting like you're God, they almost kind of equates to like being in the garden of even Eden where the serpent's talking to you. And he wants to give you what you want. You know, Hey, look here, I'm going to give you this. Don't you want this? I'm going to give you all of this instead of, paying attention to who your real God is, and instead of get, letting him give you what you need. 
just like is what we should be doing and look into that, reading our Bible, fellowshipping with fellow Christians, understanding the truth, reading it, hearing it, being in a Bible study to understand exactly what the word says and where it comes from and its true meanings and do the research ourselves, not just listen, but do research yourself so that you truly understand what it means. And you'll come to the full understanding of Jesus Christ's love for mankind and why it was written and prophesied so many years ago, his coming and his return. And all we got to do is read the book of Revelation. Hey, man. Amen. You know, things are going to happen, and it's not going to be pretty at all. Amen. Make sure that you're prepared for the day. Moving over to Josh. Final thoughts for tonight. I thought Mr. Mr. Clinton said it pretty dang well when he said that the people in the education system, they're almost like the clergy and Nail the priest. The they are the people that they tell you to trust them and don't question it. I mean, I've seen that with some, I saw that with my, my coworker. He's been, that's what he's been conditioned to his whole life. And he's never really asked a lot of questions. And it's, it's just so true. Uh, you know, one of the most important questions and we mentioned it is that you could ask is why is that true? Yes. Like when somebody says, well, you know, obviously this is the case. Why is that true? Because I can see it with my own eyes. Why is why are your eyes telling you the truth? And then you get into a question of, well, because I'm the person who can dictate truth. And that's where you're wrong. <laughs> when you say eyes, you mean perspective. Yeah. 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 They're relying on their, their own reasoning, which is an infinite regress. They only know A because of B, B because of C. Mm -hmm. And the only way we can really know things and know things for certain is because a person who does know all things has told us things. And has given us a conscience. That's why we know things. But if you deny God, you don't even have a, a basis for logic and reason and, and anything because you have no foundation. You have no starting point. Yeah. It's only you. You don't know whether you exist or not, really, to be honest, apart from God. And but the problem the is we do exist. The problem is, is you're talking from a perspective of logic and rhetoric, something that has been long missing from our schools, something that we should be putting back in. By the way. I'm just going to table this. You guys can say this is radical. You can say I'm insane. You can say I'm evil. Hey, You're insane. I think the church should provide schooling for as much as you can pay. <gasps> I think the church should provide schooling for as much as you can pay. If that's $5 a day, if that's $5 a month, if that's $500 a month, if it's 5000 a month, what you can pay into the school, the church should be providing education. Because guess what we get to do? We get to shape hearts and minds. Guess what they've been doing for generations? Shaping hearts and minds. And it's with malintent, as I hope that we've proved tonight to you. So, dear viewer, thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, like, comment, share, subscribe, all those things down there. Just smash that like button and if you didn't dis if you didn't like this i'm so sorry you know smash that dislike button in some multiple of two thank you so much we love you bye 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 see you
All right, all right, all right. Clint is trying. Clint Jr. is telling Clint Sr. that we are not done yet. If you are still here, you are our super listener, or we did, in fact, put you to sleep. If you're still here, I want you to answer this question. But going around the room, I'm going to ask the question What do you think the most pernicious lie about the school system is? What do you think the worst, most vile lie about public education is? Just going around the room, what do you think is the worst thing that they have foisted or propped up? I'll start off with one of mine. I think that they say that there's no other option. There's no other good option. Moving around the room. Thoughts, Mr. Clint? Well, I think with the no other option, I think they've, they've worked hard to make it no other option. Because when you do choose another option, those having graduated from a private Christian school, they make it difficult on that student. That yes. student has to test. Whereas the student, I may be uh, leaps and bounds ahead of that other student that was public school educated. He gets to come straight in, doesn't have to take entrance exam tests, doesn't have to do various things. All those things I have to do. Whether I have an SAT or an ACT score, it doesn't matter. Still have to test for them. Indeed. I think, I think the biggest lie that they tell on a daily basis is there's no God. He's dead. That's a good one. Clint? Uh, critical race theory that I can't be more than what I am. Oh, indeed. Snicky. The blind faith in the school system that what they, um, what they provide is truth. Indeed. I would have to say that you got to go to college to get a good job. <laughs> indeed. Bull crap yeah. on that because indeed. I know way too many people that have Take trade schools, and man, I'll tell you what, knock down big bucks. Indeed. So I'm not teach. I'm not talking about it from the teacher perspective because there are some teachers who do genuinely believe this, and they are very much doing the good, doing the good work. Uh, but the school systems, though, it's about the kids. That's the biggest lie. Indeed, I think I think that's absolutely correct. It is not about the kids. Uh, and again, I'd say that they say that there's no way that no other way to go about this. Yes, there is. And that's how we went about it for millennia. And we did a lot better. Look at the framers of the Constitution. Dewey Decimal System, et cetera. Don't get me started on how stupid public education is. We love you. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye.